Good morning. How y'all doing? Yeah, well, I'm glad to see you. Some of you are glad to be seen, I hope. Others of you are still trying to wake up. I don't know why that you can't wake up today. Yesterday was a pretty good day in Arkansas. better Saturday than what we've been experiencing around here. Somebody say amen. But they're all good. Every Saturday, every Sunday, every day that the Lord gives us is a good day. Amen. And I'm, I'm excited because they just get better. You know, these days here are awesome and they just, they, they're, they're good. They're filled with good and they're filled with, with life. You know, life happens both ways, rains on the just and the unjust. But the promise, the hope of promise that we have that, you know what, that the hope and the promise you have as a believer is someday when everybody else thinks it's your worst day because maybe you'll be sick or maybe you'll be in a wreck or maybe something about it'll happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but someday we're all going to die. And everybody around is going to say, man, that was a terrible day for old Darren. And old Darren's going to wake up and say, no, he wasn't. <laughs> it was one of the best days. That was probably the best day of my life. Amen. We, you know, I was thinking about it. I was sitting down there. I'm not preaching it. I'll get there in a minute. <laughs> sitting down there thinking about what is, what is the, what does a voice of triumph sound like? You hear people say, you know, shout with a voice of triumph. They talk about the word saying shout with a voice of triumph. And I think it comes from uh, those battles that were fought in those, in those historical times, ancient battles that were fought when those soldiers would realize that they had achieved the victory on the battlefield and it was a, there was a shout of triumph. So the next time the preacher says to you, uh, this is the day that the Lord hath made, we should rejoice and be glad in it. Why don't you clap your hands and shout unto God with a voice of triumph? Do you know what that should sound like? It shouldn't sound like... Want to practice what it ought to sound like? Clap your hands unto God and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. It would sound something like this. Hallelujah. That's a voice of triumph. I love God's house. I love his presence. Man, his presence is in this place today, huh? I know uh, last week, Deb and I were... We're out in North Carolina, and we heard that you guys had a real preacher in here last Sunday. He's escaping now, as I say this, uh, through the door and up the stairs. But Pastor Neil Hubbard did a great job last week. I appreciate him so much and the rest of the staff. They do an awesome job. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to make for you today three true statements. And the reason I know that they're true is because they're not mine. They're actually the words of Christ. Three true statements. I want you to get your Bible turned to John chapter 3. If in your mind you can think of any verses of Scripture that come from John 3, raise your hand. John chapter 3. John 3, what? If you've, I mean, if you watch TV or if you've ever been to a game, it's always in the outfield. Well, that one's always being held up in the outfield. John 3, 16. The most quoted verse in all the world, the, probably the second one is for the children 
when they learn that they have to memorize scripture, they, they all probably gravitate to the one that says Jesus wept. But other than Jesus wept, this one is the most quoted and easily remembered. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, what, might be saved. We don't always quote 17, but we all know 16. My studies this week, it was interesting for me to take note of whom it was Jesus made this statement to. Because Jesus didn't just get up one day and spout that verse from on top of a big box. This this was a part of a conversation he was having with someone. And in that conversation, he made this statement. The most quoted verse probably in the world. Jesus was speaking to a fellow named Nicodemus. And there are basically three things that he told Nicodemus that day. This was the first encounter that Jesus had had with Nicodemus. And consequently, there would be two more. Nicodemus was, in, was a fellow that throughout the course of Jesus' life and death, he encountered Jesus three times. This was the first encounter. And Jesus told Nicodemus three things. First, he said, you must be born again. You remember that? And Nicodemus said, well, how do you do that? How can I enter into my mother's womb the second time? And he said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. You've got to be born of the spirit. He said, you've been born of water, but now you must be born of the spirit. You remember? Well, that's the first thing that Jesus said to Nicodemus. And then Nicodemus, I'm sure, was puzzled. And so Jesus went on and then answered him by saying, you don't get it, Nicodemus. Here's how it works. For God so loved the world... There it is. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe upon him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. And so the first thing he told him is, Nicodemus, everybody must be born again. But secondly, God so loved the world so much that everybody can be. And Nicodemus, thirdly, he said, and once you are born again, you will live differently than people who are not. These are the three things that he told Nicodemus in the first encounter. Now, I find it a bit strange that he has this in-depth conversation with Nicodemus because normally Jesus would not have this kind of a conversation with someone like Nicodemus. Why would I say such a thing? Because Jesus cared about the people who were down and out, who were broken, who were needing, who needed healing. And Nicodemus represented a different group of people who normally didn't have much to do with Jesus. Most of the time, people like Nicodemus were arrogant and cocky and know-it-alls and religious and all of those fun things that caused Jesus to really not want to hang around with these kind of people. You say, where do you get this? Study a little bit and it will tell you that Nicodemus is a powerful man, well-known, established. He's a, he's a, a, a man with an impressive resume. He's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a man of great wealth. And so... Very rarely was he the kind of person that wanted to hang around with Jesus. So that's why Jesus didn't get to hang around with people like him very often. And so it's interesting that Jesus would make this quote, this, the, most, the most quoted verse of Scripture, the most popular verse of Scripture, Jesus says to a guy like Nicodemus. 
Because Nicodemus isn't like the rest of the people who stereotypically fit his class. Even though he has this polished resume, Nicodemus is respectful and curious. And he's willing to tarnish his reputation if it's necessary in order to know the truth. So he has put aside what would have been in his day the political incorrectness of hanging around with Jesus. Can you imagine that? Had you lived in Jesus' day, it would have been politically incorrect for you to hang around with him. He puts aside the political incorrectness and he decides that regardless of what all the people up here say, he has the desire to hear what this man Jesus has to say. And he's willing to risk his reputation and his position. And Jesus says, okay, you know, you're the kind of guy that I can minister to. You're the kind of person that I can have a conversation with. And so I'm going to entrust something to you that is so important that from now on, the rest of the world will quote our conversation. Jesus speaks important things to people who are willing to hear them. Jesus saw potential in Nicodemus. I want you to look with me to John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. The most quoted verse of Scripture, what, 16, 17? We're going to skip down just a couple verses, pick it up in 19, because most of the time people don't get that far. I mean, we get there, and we're like, okay, well, that must have been the conversation, but that's not it. Remember I said he told Nicodemus three things. The first was you must be born again. The second one you can be because God so loved the world. And the third is what we're about to talk about. Consequently, there are two other occasions when Nicodemus will have an encounter with Christ. There's this one where he is seeking Jesus for the truth. The next time that he is going to encounter Jesus will be in John 7 and verse 50 where that he will defend Jesus against the unjust suspicion of the Jews. And the third time will be in John 19.39 when he comes to embalm the body of Jesus. Three times Nicodemus encounters Christ. First time, I want to know the truth. Second time, y'all leave him alone because he is the truth. Third time, I'm willing to risk it all. I've accepted him. I even want to embalm his body. Hmm. Then Jesus speaks the words of John 19. I'm reading from God's word translation. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, this is why people are condemned. The light came into the world. Who is the light? Jesus said, I am the light of the world, didn't he? Another place. He said, the light came into the world, yet people loved the dark rather than the light because their actions were evil. People who do what is wrong hate the light. They don't come to the light. They don't want their actions to be exposed. But in 21, people who do what is true come to the light so that the things they do for God may be clearly seen. He begins by spelling out first why people will be condemned. There will be people who will be condemned. Why will they be condemned? Because they love the dark more than the light. They love the dark. They hate the truth. Why do they choose dark over light? Because they don't want to give up what they do in the dark. 
because they don't want their actions to be exposed. And they don't want anyone telling them that the things they do in the dark are sin. And sadly, unless they heed the conviction of God, they're going to die in that sin and they're going to be lost forever. But here's the good news to anyone that will heed the message that Jesus gave to Nicodemus and will come to the light and will be exposed in their sin and will repent of their sin and give their heart to Jesus. They will be the ones who now scripture calls the born again. And we know them in our culture as people who are saved. These people, here is what the promise is to them in this last verse of our text. Three things will happen in the life of the person who is born again. They will live differently, and this is what it will look like. Number one, write them down if you'd like. The scripture said, Jesus said to him, these people will do what is true. Now, what does that mean? It means to do right and to obey the truth. So Jesus made a statement in another passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. He said, blessed are they who, they who hunger and thirst for God's approval. They will be satisfied. The word hunger there equals the word crave. So it could read this way. Blessed are those who crave. They are famished. They are thirsting for God's approval. Takes it kind of to another level. When Jesus says those who will be born again will crave to do what is right. They will want to do right. How can you tell when somebody's truly born again? Because a lot of people think it's popular to claim that they are. Am I right? But the scripture says you'll know a tree by, by its fruit. A lot of people claiming to be a Christian. But if they don't crave to do what is right, then there's been no life change. Did I say they always do right? No, I didn't say they always do right. None of us always do right. But do we crave to do right? Is it in your spirit? Do you, do you want to do right? Does it grieve you when you do wrong? And if it does, you're in good ground. People that know the Lord are not just trying to get to heaven, but they want to do things that are going to bring God glory with their lives along the way. Make sense? And so that's why they bring their life as a living sacrifice. They obey the word of God and they crave to live in such a way that brings him glory. Yes, they fail, but they crave to do what right is right. Let me illustrate this uh, with a little story. There was a man who went into a restaurant, sat down and ordered a glass of iced tea. And the waiter brought it to him. And as soon as he handed him the glass of tea, he took the tea and threw it in the waiter's face. Immediately, he jumps up with his napkin and starts wiping the man's face off and apologizing. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I do that. It's just in me. I can't help it. I just do that. And the man says, well, you're not going to do it to me anymore. He said, I'll remember you, and if you ever come in here again, I'm not going to serve you. And he said, I, 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 I want to I make this right. I, I, I really feel bad, but I, I, can't, I, can't quit, I can't quit doing this. So he leaves, and he goes to a psychiatrist, and he spends several months working on his issues. And one day he comes back to the restaurant. He walks in, sits down. The waiter walks over to him, and he says, I would like to order a glass of iced tea. And the waiter says, I remember you. I don't think so. 
Oh, you don't understand. I've been to, I've been to counseling. I've received therapy. I'm, I'm okay now. So he says, okay. And he brings in the iced tea. And as soon as he sits it down, he takes it and he throws it in the man's face. At which time the man screams, I thought you'd been cured. And he says, I have. I went to counseling and I received counseling. I still do it, but I don't feel guilty anymore. Which illustrates the point beautifully of people who say, I still do this. I just don't feel bad anymore. To which Jesus would say, Nicodemus, when you're born again, you'll crave to do right. You'll desire to do right. You will never become okay with your sin. Will you ever completely defeat your sin? Oh, you'll defeat a lot of them, hopefully all of them. But I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I still, I still have battles that I fight in my flesh. I'm just being straight up with you. And I'm telling you, though, that every time I fail in a word or a deed or something that I think, every time I do that, I feel bad about it. I repent for it because I crave to do right. Jesus said those that are born again, they will do right. They will obey truth. Number two, he said, they will come to the light. It means that they'll be drawn by the light, not driven from the light. Uh Uh-oh, hang on now. You still there? Are they convicted by the light? Sure they are. But they're not afraid of the light. Understand this. True believers are not afraid of the light anymore. They're not afraid of Jesus anymore. They love Jesus. And when they sin, they don't run from him and try to hide like Adam in the garden with a few fig leaves. Instead, they run to the light. Mm. Because they're drawn by him. Because they know of his love and they know of his forgiveness. And they're always aware of their sin and their failures. But they seek out the light Because they know the light is a savior and a friend. He's not an enemy. Understand something. Only the guilty who intend to stay that way try to hide when the lights come on. So when you flip on the light, the cockroaches run, don't they? When you're in a nasty place. Ever been to one of those kind of motels? You just didn't know. It had a pretty good rating when you looked at it. And then you show up and you're like, oh, my lands, what have we done? And you flip on the light and the cockroaches scatter. But when you walk into a place where a person belongs, if you walk into someone's house and they belong there and you flip on their lights, they will greet you and say, hey, how you doing? This is my house. I belong here. I'm not trying to hide. What am I trying to say? That when you're in the darkness and you're not wanting to be in the darkness You'll be drawn to the light. The only ones that want to stay hidden are the ones who run from the light. The difference between the believer and the unbeliever. Someone will tell you they are a believer, but if they keep running from the light, then they're not. A true believer will always run to the light. In 1977, there was a huge power outage in New York City. 
And it just so happens at the very instant, how ironic and uh, just, yeah, I guess is the best word, that it could be that at the very instant that the lights went out in the city, there was a little boy that had kicked an electric pole. And he thought he did it. He went home and he was so scared. He knew he was in bad trouble. His parents said, what's wrong with you? And he finally fessed up. I'm the reason for all of this. I kicked the electric pole and the lights went out all over the city. When you're born again, you begin to realize that it's not your fault and you can't shoulder the blame. But in Christ, he carried all of the sin and he left it on the cross. You didn't do this. You can't fix this. But he did. How many believers need to be told that they can unshoulder the load of guilt and shame that they carry for past sin? Sins that they did so long ago that have been forgiven and forgotten and are under the blood. And they just keep dragging them around like a, like something dead on their back. And God is saying, I wish you'd figure this out. You didn't do this. You're not the author of sin. You've just been born into a sinful nature. You've just been born into a sinful place where it so happens at this point, the kingdom of darkness has a little bit of authority here. But this is not your fault. And Jesus has taken the blame and taken the sin. If you're truly born again, you accept that and realize, I didn't do this. I don't like this, but I didn't do this. And I can't fix this, but he can. And then if you realize that, you stop running in from the, the light. You stop hiding in the darkness. And when Jesus comes to you in the cool of the day and he says, where are you? He doesn't have to search because you have come seeking the light. I'm right here, Lord. I'm right here. Hey, I'm a mess, but I'm right here. I'm right here, Lord. He's like, I know I saw what you did while ago. I know, but I'm sorry. He says, I know you're sorry. Can I enlighten you with something that I hope it gives, brings you joy and, and a little bit of peace? Did you know that we're going to receive bodies that are different from these? Corinthians talks about a glorified body and in that glorified body in a body that does not seek to reproduce because there is no reproduction in heaven in a body that does not seek to commit sin uh, because of all the carnal and lust of the flesh and all the things that we deal with in these bodies. When we shed these bodies and we get the new ones, you're going to lose all of those sins automatically. No temptation. There's no temptation. That means you don't feel bad about walking up to the chocolate fountain and putting a drumstick under it. It don't matter. This one's glorified. I can't tear this one up by sinful choices. There are no sinful choices when we wake up in the next one. Jesus knew that we couldn't do anything about this corrupt nature that we were born in except be saved from it. That's where we get the word. He said, I'm going to save you from that and from yourself. You didn't cause this by kicking the light pole. The lights were out before you got here. But the light of Jesus shines in the darkness, pierces the darkness. And number three, Jesus said to Nicodemus, 
Those people that are truly born again will do things for God openly. Here's what that means. It means that they're not ashamed for what they do for God. They're not ashamed for that to be seen. The things they do are performed according to the will of God or, or perhaps by the assistance of God. And as such, God will approve. So the actions of good people are performed by the influence and the aid of God. So these born again people aren't doing things for God to show out. If you run across somebody that's doing things for God to show out. That's why you have such a disdain for those people. When you see people using the claim of Christ for personal benefit. For manipulation, for power, for control, whatever that might be. That's why you're so put off by that. But the people of God do things for God because they love their neighbor. And because they want to build the kingdom of God. And so because of that, they're not afraid of their actions being exposed. Because their actions were motivated by God's goodness. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. God does not want any of us to be held in bondage by actions unworthy of a believer. So what do you do when you mess up? Fess up. Remember that. When you mess up, fess up. Why? This is good. Because it takes all of the sting out of an enemy trying to use that against you. What do you do? What do you do when something happens in your life? Sin happens in your life. You, whether, whether, whether by mistake or, or, or sin is really not a mistake. Did you know that? And when we're talking about sin, we're talking about sin is something that you did and you knew. A, a, a mistake isn't a sin. So this is saying that believers will sin even after they're believers. And it won't be a mistake. That there'll be times that you know. In fact, when you commit a sin as a believer, the Holy Spirit tells you before you ever do it, don't do that, and you do it anyway. That's when it's a sin, right? And that's when you're tempted most of the time to hide now when the Spirit of God shows up. But that's, he's telling, giving us the liberty to say, no, come, come, keep coming to the light. Because God doesn't want us to be held in bondage. Everybody messes up. But listen to this statement. You could write it down if you want. The devil can only expose what you try to keep hidden. He can only expose what you try to keep hidden. Because if you'll be straight up about it, it takes all the sting out of the devil being able to blackmail you with it. What you got in your life that you're afraid for somebody to find out because it'll destroy you. God says, come to the light. And in the light, that thing will be exposed, defeated, forgiven, destroyed, and rendered powerless as blackmail material by the devil. Can I tell you one more story and then I'll stop? Well, okay, I will anyway. A 
a little brother and sister went to visit their grandparents. They're going to stay with them for a week. Grandma and grandpa lived in the country. So when they got there, one of the first things they did was give the children gifts. And the little boy received a slingshot, a bean flip. How many of you guys ever had one of those? Man, I spent lots of time trying to shoot cans off the fence and hitting other things. And so it was in the story that he received this slingshot and he went out into the woods and he practiced, but he just wasn't very good with it. And on his way back to the house, he saw his grandma's prized pet duck. And just on impulse, he let one go. And by the way, it hit the duck and killed it dead. So he scrambled to pick the duck up and hide it in the woodpile. Thinking he had gotten away with his sin, he turned and there he saw his little sister smiling who had witnessed the whole occasion. Not a word was spoken, but into the house they went. After dinner, Grandma said, Sissy, I need you to help me with the dishes. And she said, Johnny wants to help tonight. And she looked at him and she said, Remember the duck. So Johnny washed dishes. The next day about lunchtime grandpa said i'm trying to find a little boy that wants to go fishing and he said i want to go and sissy said he don't want to go he wants to stay here and help fix lunch i'll go with you and she looked at her brother and said remember the duck so johnny stayed and helped fix lunch while sissy went fishing with grandpa this went on for days He had done his chores and her chores for days till finally he couldn't take it any longer. And so he crawled up on his grandma's lap and he said, I love you, grandma, but I got to tell you something. He said, several days ago, I used my slingshot and I shot your duck and I killed it. And I buried it out there in the wood pile. And grandma said, I know I was standing at the kitchen window and I saw you do it. (laughs) And she said, I love you and I forgive you. And I wondered how long you were going to allow your sister to make a slave of you. And God wonders the same thing of us. I know. I saw. How long are you going to let the devil make a slave of you? See, being born again... It doesn't make us perfect. It just makes us forgiven. And being born again, when you're truly born again, it'll cause you just to want to do right. It'll cause you to stop running from the light. And it'll cause you not to be afraid of your actions being seen. Why? Because you have a Savior who saves you and heals you and forgives you and loves you and forgets everything that you ever did. And he moves on and and puts within you a confidence so that you can live unafraid of the one who seeks to shame you and harm you and humiliate you. I'm going to leave you where I started. There's three things you need to know today. They're very important. It's why these are the things that Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be born again. But God loves you so much that you can be. And when you are, you will be different. You'll be changed. Saved people live differently than lost people do. And it's not because we're better. 
but it's because we're free and it's because we're forgiven and it's because we are forever God's children. First Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.14 NIV explains it this way. says, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. So reverse that. If that statement is true, then reverse that statement and it would read this way. The person with the spirit does accept the things that come from the spirit. They don't consider them foolish, but their life. They do understand them because they're discerned through the spirit. Today, God is giving you the ability to see the truth. Whether you're born again or whether you are at this point still searching I would ask a question. How many people in this room, after having heard this word, understand what it's saying? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand if you understand it. I understand. You know what that means? That whether you're born again or whether you are not born again, the Spirit of God has given you the ability to understand truth today. And if you're born again, then you walk out of here rejoicing. More than ever before. I'm free. And if you are not born again, you don't have to leave until you are. The scripture just has to be accepted. It's all that has to happen. And so I want to pray with you. And I'm going to ask God. For those of you who are born again to be encouraged that you'll receive this word and be encouraged. And for those of you who are not, that he is going to give you. First of all, conviction. Oh, I'm going to pray conviction on you. I mean, I'm going to pray it on you heavy. Because I want you to be as miserable as I was when I found out I was a sinner. I'm not going to make this easy on you because nobody made it easy on me. And that's what you get. Really, the reason I'm doing it is because you need an opportunity to confess the decision that you're making today. You need an opportunity to profess this Savior who has convicted you today. That's why I'm going to call you out. But I'm not going to call you out to come and be embarrassed and stand by yourself. Instead, when you get here, there'll be somebody here that's waiting to pray with you. But I have been praying for you. I've been seeking the Lord in this word because I, I, I know that this is the kind of message that sets people free. Believers, it sets them free to rejoice. And unbelievers, it sets them free to receive truth. And I don't want anybody to leave here today. I cannot bear the thought, guys. I can't bear the thought of us getting to heaven and you not being there. The only thing that is keeping you from being a part of the group that's going to worship around the throne and enjoy heaven is just a decision. There are religions that are out there today that would tell you that being good is going to get you to heaven, that you don't have to believe in anything, that if you're just a good person. And I'm telling you, it is so, those people are going to be so shocked. Some of us are going to be really shocked when we get to heaven and see some of the people that are there. They'll be like, there's no way they ought to be here. And the only reason that they're there is for one reason. Somewhere, sometime, they made a decision, accepted Jesus as their Savior. They were born again, and they started living different. The only reason people get to heaven is for that. The only reason they don't is because they don't do that. 
Good people are going to hell. Bad people are going to heaven. Everybody's going somewhere. But the one common denominator of everybody in heaven will be that at some point, they accepted the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he provides that sacrifice. So for the next few minutes, we're going to do what we do every Sunday morning in here. We don't ever just preach and say, Amen, have an awesome day. We don't ever let anybody just walk out of this room without having a chance to put in practice the word that God has put in their heart. So this place becomes a place of prayer. This service isn't over. We're just now starting to pray. This is not over. And so we're going to invite you to come and pray. We have prayer team members that are going to scatter out all over the sanctuary. If you need prayer for something specifically and you want to go to one of them, you can share with them. They'll pray with you. All right. If you just want to pray by yourself, then come and kneel around the altars. But here's what I would ask of those individuals today who want to be born again. People that want to have Jesus come into their heart. I'm going to do something for you that you'll thank me for later on. I'm going to ask you to come and join me right here at the front. If that's you and you say, I'm ready to receive Christ as my Savior. I understand it like I never have before. Something's happened in my soul. I'm convicted, man. I'm I'm ready to give my heart to Christ. If that is you, then I want you to come and stand right here. Our prayer team's going to stay to the sides. But we're going to leave this 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 middle open right here. Because these these unsaved individuals are going to come. They're going to stand right here in the middle. I want to know who they are. And all over this room, Neil's going to lead us in the song. As he does, I want you to pray. If you want to, you come come to one of these. And if you need to receive Christ as your Savior, use this opportunity to come down here to the front because we're going to pray with you and you're going to have your life changed today. Amen. Today is going to be your birthday. More important than your other birthday. This is going to be your real birthday. This will be the birthday you remember throughout eternity. Neil, lead us. And if you would, I want you to come. This is your day. This is your day. I want you to come and join us here in the front.